I'd rather you look at me and pay attention than try to take notes. If you get distracted by taking notes and trying to hear and then write down and trying to hear, hey, I would rather you this morning, this morning, I know you say, preacher, you tell us to take notes. I want you to take notes. But if it is a distraction this morning, I want you to listen. I would rather have your undivided attention. This is going to be one of those kind. Uh, how many of y'all have ever watched a movie and you could go to the bathroom, go get some popcorn and come in and never miss anything? But then there was that one that you just had to be, you had to stay with it the whole time. Because if you left for just a minute, you'd miss something and it would mean the whole thing. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, you know, don't go get no popcorn this morning. I need your undivided attention, okay? Uh, and listen, young people, young people, if there was every time you need to, you need to show some restraint. And some of you old people too, some of y'all talk worse than the young people. And listen, this is just a short period of time that we're hearing from the God of the universe. And I need your undivided attention for just a few moments. If y'all can help me with that, say amen. amen. All right, I want you to turn with me in Mark chapter number 15. Mark chapter number 15. And then I want you to turn over to, uh, to Psalms chapter number 22. Psalms chapter 22. I, I, told you, I, I told you that all week, I, even from... The, the end of the service, the end of the service last Sunday, God began to put this on my heart, and I have not been able to shake it. Uh, we, we preached on three gardens a couple weeks ago, the three gardens, and what a, what, a great, what a great thought that was that God gave us. Last week, we talked about the three crosses, the cross of rebellion, the cross of repentance, and the cross of redemption, and, and man, what a, what a great thought that was, and what, what God has done for us, but Man, ever since Sunday, it's just been burning in my soul and burning in my soul. And I, I've, been, I've been looking and studying and reading and researching and asking and calling. And, and see, I'm kind of dumb, and I've got to call people smarter than I am to help me with this. But there's a few things that God gave me that them smart people didn't even know. Say amen. And I like when that happens. And I, I want to share with you just a couple things. And you say, well, I might not agree with it. Well, that's your prerogative, but I'm the preacher. Amen. It's America, you can believe it or not, uh, but I promise you this, we can back things up with Scripture and, and, and share this, and I want to take just a little while, and let's talk about those three hours of darkness on the cross. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. The Bible says, Mark chapter 15, and verse number 25. Verse number 25 says, And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. That was 9 o'clock in the morning. The third hour, he'd done been up all night long, done been up with a false trial, being arrested in the garden. Listen, uh, being mocked and beaten and, and scourged and ridiculed. We, we know all about that, and I'm not going to go into the details about that. You know about that, how they plucked his beard out. They hit him with a cat of nine tails, ripped his body open, beat him to a pulp. The Bible says uh, uh, they beat him so severely that you could not even tell he was a man. And he went through an unbelievable amount of torture and pain and difficulty. And the Bible says at 9 o'clock they crucified him, hung him on a cross. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. With him they crucified two thieves, the one on the right hand, the other on the left. And the scripture was fulfilled and saith he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, All Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. It wasn't enough they butchered him, but now they're going to mock him. Save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests mockings said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. What an idiot. I can't, I'm sorry. I've been in this all week. He saved others. But he himself, he cannot save. There were no truer statements made. Because what he didn't understand was that if he was to save himself, then he couldn't save others. If he was to call 12 legions of angels from heaven, and he could have. If he would have chosen to save himself, 
then he wouldn't have been able to save me and you. <laughs> Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. When the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabbathachthani, which is being interpreted, say it with me, my God, my God. All alone, all alone in the darkness. And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elias, and one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top all the way to the bottom. Dear Heavenly Father, help me now. Help me. Lord, thank you for what you did. You didn't deserve it, but you did it anyhow. Lord, I'm thankful that you didn't save yourself. You gave yourself freely so you could save me and all the rest of us. Now, Lord, take this time. I pray that your will be done. And Lord, we'll praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Seven sayings on the cross. Seven different utterances from the Lord Jesus Christ, seven different statements that were made. And they're very significant in, in importance for what we're studying today and to see what really happened. We know he was there for six hours hanging on that cross. Two different periods of time, three hours in the beginning, three hours in the end. And what he said during those particular periods of time will help us understand what was really happening their own Calvary. One of the first things he said was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What a blessing. What a prince. What a savior. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They beat him and betrayed him and butchered him. Now they're mocking him and spitting in his face. Yet he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He looks down in that same period, those first three hours. He looks down and sees his mother and says, Woman, behold thy son, talking about John. Mary and John is standing there. What was he doing? He was taking care of his mama. Listen, John, behold thy mother. In other words, you take care of her. You take care of her from now on. And the Bible says from that time on, John took care of Mary. Listen, then the next thing he said in those first three hours was uh, to the thief on the cross, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, all of those things are expected to be heard from a Savior. All of those things, I mean, that's a, that's a no-brainer. I, I, I expect to hear that from the Lord. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. He is, he is the Son of God who came to, to redeem mankind. Man, all of that makes sense. But then the Bible says, at noon, darkness, all the land. Total darkness. I believe it was so I believe it was just like the darkness in the land of Egypt, almost where you could feel it. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But after the darkness, things changed dramatically. After the darkness, uh, listen, what you hear coming from the Savior's voice is totally different than what you heard before. Before he was acting as the high priest. 
acting as, listen, the office that he did have. He was the high priest. If you go back in the Old Testament, you'll find uh, where the, the high priest would come and they would bring the sacrifice for the people and, and bring the sacrifice up that would, the, 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 the lamb or the goat or whatever it was that was to die and, and shed its blood for the sins of the people. And that was his responsibility to represent the people. And that's what he was doing those first three hours on the cross. He was still representing them. Father, forgive them. He was the mediator. He was going in between saying, Father, forgive them. He was the high priest. When that darkness fell, he became the sacrifice. You say, how do you know that? Because everything changed. The terminology changed. What he said changed. You say, what are you talking about? If you put all of the Gospels together, the Synoptic Gospels and the Johannine Doctrine, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, put them all together and read all the sayings. You find all seven. Listen, in the midst of that darkness, that toward the end of that darkness, uh, listen, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The first time he was ever in reference to his father is God. He didn't cry out, my father. Before the darkness, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the garden, he said, Father, let it be your will done. I, but Father, I know all things are possible with thee, but not my will, but thine be done. But after the darkness, after the darkness, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He has become the sacrifice. Then, after he says, I thirst, I thirst. That's very significant, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Then he said, it is finished. It is finished. And I believe he looks up into heaven and says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. What a... Everything in history changed. Amen. There was a ripple that went throughout all eternity, past, present, and future, at that moment. What happened? What happened in that darkness that changed everything? What happened in the darkness that, that moved him from being high priest to sacrifice? I want to share with you three quick things. And there's going to be a lot of scripture I'm going to go through. So, honestly, if you would just pay attention. So, I like the notes. I'll give you the notes. I'll give you every note that I have. You can have all of them. But just stay with me. Will you do that? Say amen. amen. Listen, the first thing I believe took place. I believe with all my heart. At this moment of darkness. When darkness came upon the land. I, 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 I believe if we go back. We can go back all the way back uh, to the book of Exodus and, and, and remember the plagues that came upon Egypt. Listen, we know that God was delivering his people and, and plague after plague after plague after plague after plague God brought upon the nation of Egypt to deliver his people. And right before, listen, the last plague that took place before the Passover lamb died. The last plague that took place before the Passover lamb died was the plague of darkness. Darkness was upon, the, listen, the land. Darkness that could be felt. No man moved from his place. The darkness was so thick. They wouldn't even move, not one person, for three days. Then the Passover lamb was killed. And then we know the death angel came. Preacher, what are you saying? I believe it's very significant. I believe it's very significant. Listen, everything, you've got to understand this. Everything in the Old Testament is significant in that it points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, every sacrifice, every supper, every ordinance, every picture, Joseph is a type of Christ. Abraham offering Isaac is a type of the death of Christ. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Christ. Listen. Right before the Passover lamb died, there was darkness upon the land. Three days, this darkness lasted three hours. I believe with all my heart, that is very significant. And we see as this is taking place, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He is in agony. He is in pain. Listen, darkness falls upon the land. And I believe the first thing we find 
in studying Scripture and comparing Scripture with, listen, Psalms 22. Psalms 22 is a messianic prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ's time on the cross. I believe that with all my heart. You can compare it back and forth. Listen, it is very, it's an obvious, obvious representation of Jesus on the cross. Listen, in this particular time, I believe we see an attack that's satanic. An attack that's satanic. Preacher, what are you saying? I want to go back to Psalms 22 for just a moment and then we'll come back. It says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is prophetic. This is a thousand years before Christ ever died. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not in the night season. I'm not silent. Oh, look in verse 6, but I am a worm. And a man, a reproach of men, and despised of all the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted him. Does that sound familiar? Well, let me show you one more thing. Verse 12. Verse 12. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan. They have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Now watch this. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Listen, this was way before crucifixion was ever even heard of. The Persians invented it. The Romans adopted it. But it was never even heard of at this particular time. All the scribes and the Pharisees should have seen this and knew what was going on. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be thou not far from me, O Lord. O my strength, hasten thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. What does that all mean? Let me, let me give you just a thought. Let me give you just a thought. I've, I've heard, I've heard that, 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 that these bulls of Bashan, I've heard that this represents those Roman soldiers that, that were brutally uh, brutalizing the Lord Jesus Christ. But I, I, I don't, that, that's okay, that, that, that may be the case. But I, I don't necessarily believe that. I don't necessarily believe that. And the reason I don't believe that, uh, the Bible says that when they came to get Jesus in the garden... When they came to get him in the garden, they brought the swords and the staves. They brought, uh, listen, soldiers to get him. And he said, why, why, why are you coming against as a thief? What am I, a thief? He said, I was teaching with you in the, in the temple continuously. I was always there, and you come out against me as a thief? He said, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Darkness. It is the power of darkness. We know everything in the Bible that represents darkness was with evil and wickedness. He said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. The Bible says, well, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of what? The darkness of this world. I believe at that moment, at that time, at that instant on the cross, when that darkness fell, I believe there was a satanic attack beyond what any man could ever imagine. I believe Satan and the demons of hell came against Christ in such an incredible way and I believe those bulls of Bashan represent the demons of hell I believe with all my heart and you say why do you believe that the, the area of Bashan it was known for its uh, bulls of ferocious size and strength they would kill somebody just as soon look at them but do you realize people worship them People in Baal worship, worship those bulls. You'll notice in most, most cult worship, they worship bulls. And I believe it was, was demon-possessed. I believe that the, the, the area of Bashan is the same area where he cast the demons out, where he cast the demons out of the demoniac, where he sent the demons into the swine, and they went off into the ocean. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And it says the bulls of Bashan, plural. He says they gaped upon me with their mouths. And I heard people say, well, that means they were mocking him. No, study the word out. Gape means to rend. It means to tear apart. I've never seen a ravenous lion mocking anything. A ravenous lion is tearing its prey apart. And I believe, the listen, the demons of hell were coming against Christ in that moment of darkness. And God, 
the father had to let it happen. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? It's obvious the lion represents Satan. The Bible says for the devil has a roaring, roaming about seeking whom he may devour. Oh, I ain't sure about that. Well, let's look at it. In the garden, excuse me, let's go back before the garden. Jesus is in the book of John. He's been telling them about as a seed would fall into the ground and die. He, at one point, he told them, I'm not going to tell you anymore because the prince of this world cometh. Then he says this at that particular point where he said the seed will fall into the ground and die. And in, in John 12, in John 12, 27, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore stood by and heard it and said it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. And Jesus answered and said, There, this voice came not from me or because of me, but for your sakes. Now watch what he says. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. I believe he knew it's coming. It's coming. Satan's coming. Do you realize that in the, in the upper room, after Jesus got through with the communion, after Jesus got through washing the disciples' feet, he even washed the feet of the one that would betray him. The Bible says that Satan himself entered into Judas. Satan was instigating this. How could people, how could people go from Hosanna, 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 crying out Hosanna to the king, and just a few days later cry out, crucify him, crucify him. I believe it was satanically influenced. I believe it was an attack from Satan. Listen, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Now watch this. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, if you don't understand that word destroy, you might not get this figured out. The word destroy doesn't mean annihilate in this particular verse. It's obvious that Satan is still alive. The word means to render inoperative, to make of none effect. So what was going on? On this cross that Satan instigated. On this cross that that Satan brought forth. Because, see, he's trying to extinguish the light. Because way back in the book of Genesis, you need to understand that God spoke to Satan and said, Look, you messed man up. You tempted them to sin. But I promise you this, there is coming a day where man's seed will bust your head. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And from that point on, Satan has tried every way he could to try to stop the seed of man because he knew his destiny. A man would annihilate the, 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 the devil himself, would render him inoperable, would render him powerless. And every time he tried his best to stop that seed, he had Cain kill Abel. Abel was murdered. And the, the good one was murdered. And Cain is now a murderer. But thank God, God brought Seth forward. God always has a plan. And down through time, down through time, he tried to stop that light. The Bible says Jesus is that light. That light came into what? Darkness. And darkness comprehended it not. That word comprehend does not mean to understand or figure it out. That word means to seize or to conquer. What are you saying? The darkness tried to conquer the light. The darkness tried to extinguish the light. Satan says, we'll kill him. We'll kill him. We'll put him on the cross and it'll be all over. But according to the Bible, if the princes of this world would have known that by crucifying him they would have lost their power they wouldn't have never crucified him and so in this time I believe Satan is coming against it he's influencing this he's instigating this but in that darkness he faced somebody he'd never faced before he faced David and he conquered David he faced Adam and conquered Adam. He faced Solomon and conquered Solomon. He even conquered Peter there for a little bit, had Peter to deny the Lord. But when he came eyeball to eyeball with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's over. Hallelujah. Listen. Inoperative. Roaring line. I, you know, I, I, I heard this. I heard this. 
I heard that when, when lion hunters are hunting lions, and they want that big, majestic, old lion that's powerful, and this is what they say. They say that when a lion gets old and he can't kill the meat, he can't go and destroy the meat, what they'll do, and they'll work in packs, is that lion, that lion will go through the jungle. Because they know that roar terrifies all of the animals. And he'll just go through the jungle and chase them. He can't grab them, too old. He can't catch them, too weak. But those young lions, that old lion will run them to the young lions. And the young lions will ambush them. And they say, when you're lion hunting, you know, your first thing you want to do is run away from them. They said, no, you run to the roar. Now you say, what does that have to do with this? The Bible says that Satan is as a roaring lion, roaming about seeking whom he may devour. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. On that cross, in that darkness, there was a satanic battle of monumental proportions, but Jesus won the battle. And in winning that battle, he rendered Satan powerless. He rendered Satan of none effect. He's walking through the jungle right now, roaring his head off. But you are stronger than he is. There is something greater in you that he is in the world. And all he can do is roar against you if you let him. Why? He lost. Why? So how do you know he lost? Because when Jesus came back, he said, I am he that liveth and was dead. Now I'm alive forevermore. And I've got the keys of death and hell to prove it. Say amen, somebody. Amen. In that darkness, there was a battle. In that darkness, listen, good and evil clashed together. He said, go ahead. You come to get me. Go ahead. This is your hour in the power of darkness. Go ahead. Do what you got to do. And he never realized that God was bringing him to him. Amen. Amen. Because the very thing that Satan used to try to destroy the light is what God used to render him powerless. Yes. There was a satanic attack. Now, I want you to get this. Very, this, is, this is critical. This is critical to, to understand. Understand how significant this time was. Remember we said, Doug, you remember we said before the darkness, he was acting as high priest. Everything he said made sense that you would think a Savior would say. Everything... Everything he did was, was normal to being a savior. But in that darkness, something else happened. I want, I want you to see the, not only the attack that was satanic, but the agony that was suffered. The agony that was suffered. In the garden. In the garden. Way over here. Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying. Boy, old Steve's doing a good job. Jesus is praying and begging God, begging God. And Father, if there be any other way, if there be any other way, way for what? Way to save man. Father, if there be any other way, let this what? Cup. Let this cup pass from me. He's praying, he's praying, he's begging God three times. He would go, his disciples fell asleep on him. He asked Peter, Peter, could I not tarry one hour? He said, could you not tarry one hour? And his soul was in sorrow. And he was praying so intensely, the Bible says. He was laboring in pain, listen, so intensely that, that his sweat became as great drops of blood. I mean, what he was praying about was so intense. You say, oh, listen, that's a medical fact. I had the, I had the terminology, but I can't remember what the word was. 
But basically, it was where there was so much pressure on the human body that there would be actually blood vessels in the, in the sweat glands that would burst. The capillaries would burst, and then the blood would be mixed with that. And you would actually, it, they have been documented facts, documented cases of this happening. And he was in, under such pressure. He said, oh, was he afraid of the cross? Oh, no. I believe his humanity seen it coming, but that's not what, that's not what that was all about. Say, so how do you know? Because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it says, look, in Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now watch this. This, is, this gives us our answer. For consider him that endured such a contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Watch what he tells him. Ye have not resisted unto what? Striving against what? You know what he was saying? In that garden. In that garden. In that cup. It was not the cup of suffering. It was not the cup of the cross. It was not the cup of those spikes. It was not the cup of his beating. That's not what he was praying about. It was such a contradiction of who Jesus was. He was the perfect Lamb of God. He was the spotless, perfect human being. He was the God-man who knew no sin, never had an immoral thought, never had a wrong deed, never had a wrong action, was totally 100% pure, holy, and righteous. The Bible said there's four beasts around the throne crying out day and night, seven days a week, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And he was so holy. It was such a contradiction of who he was to take upon him the sin of the world. He was saying, oh God, he was striving against sin. He looked into that cup and he saw sin. He looked into that cup and saw immorality. He looked into that cup and saw homosexuality. He looked in that cup and saw thieving and lying and raping and all the sin of mankind. And it was such a contradiction of who he was. It was so burdening him that he was to become a sinner. He was striving unto blood. You say, preacher, what was the agony that he faced? As bad as the beating was, as bad as the cross was, as bad as the crown of thorns was, the agony was his receiving of sin. The agony was him becoming sin. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I remember, this is a poor illustration of this. I remember when I, first time I went to the coon club, and it was a lot different than it is now. They didn't know any better. They were lost. They do what lost people do. And boy, they were using words. It wasn't like I'd never heard them before. But I would sit there. Man, they'd say something. I'd just, I'd just cringe. So, oh, you shouldn't have been there. Well, you might think that, but there's about five or six of them saved and going to church now. So we can, we can disagree on that if you want to. But I remember how I felt. I remember just, just kind of feeling dirty. Even though I knew why I was there and I was trying to win them and, and, and reach them, but I still felt that. And you know what? That is, that is not even, that is not even a, a smart, because I'm a sinner. I am imperfect. Yet I felt so, 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 so bad and, and dirty. Can you imagine, Brother Mickle, the holy son of God fixing to take upon him every rape that was ever committed, every homosexual act, every immoral deed, every lie, every adulterous act, everything all at one time. 
Can you see why? His sweat became as great drops of blood. His agony in that darkness was at that point God put all of sin upon him in that darkness. You see, he went from being high priest because he could still. He was holy. Do y'all get this? Before the darkness, he was still holy, pure. And he could be our high priest. But after the darkness, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because at that point, God put your sin and my sin. See, we can, we, can, we can condemn the homosexual and the adulterer and the thief and the fornicator and the murderer. But before you get too much pointing, your sin put him there too. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Listen. We're going to get a little deep right here. You got your snorkel? The agony on the cross in that darkness was not just the receiving of sin. But there was a repercussion of sin. For the wages of sin is death. In the very beginning in the garden, God said, The day that ye eat of this fruit, ye shall surely... But we know it wasn't a physical death because he was still there. It wasn't his soul because his soul could not die. His spirit died. And there was a separation brought between man and God. God came looking for him in the garden. And they hid from him. Because sin brings fear and shame. And because of that sin, there was a separation between God and man. God is holy and righteous. He is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. Sin brought a separation from God because God is holy and just and pure. And because of sin, man who dies in his sin will be separated from God forever. Y'all with me? And the punishment of sin is death. An eternal separation from God. Now what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. What Jesus went through in that darkness is the same that every lost sinner will go through if he leaves this world without Christ. Let me prove it. The Bible says the children of the kingdom, talking about those that are lost, they shall be cast into outer... They shall be cast into outer... Jesus was in darkness. Listen, it goes beyond that. Oh, help us, Jesus. The psalmist said, I'm old and I've been young, yet I have never, never seen the righteous what? Say it with me. Say it with me. Do you believe that? I do too, but do you know what Jesus cried out on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou? You say, but preacher, you said, you said the righteous was never forsaken. That's true. God has never forsaken the righteous. God has never forsaken the righteous. But at that point, he was no longer righteous. Because he had your sin and my sin. And God forsaken God forsook him. And you realize every sinner that dies without Christ, God will forsake him. 
Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Jesus is going through and has to experience and has to go through what every lost sinner who dies without God. Are you all with me? Let's go a little deeper. When he came out of that darkness, the first words he said, after he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, I thirst. I thirst. He said, oh, that was from the beating. No, no, no. Do you realize the Bible says, and the rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he said, would you please send Lazarus? may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my parching tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. You getting it? What are you saying? I believe in that three hours of darkness. I believe in that three hours of darkness he experienced hell on earth. He experienced what every lost sinner will experience if they die without God. He experienced all of hell. He experienced all of the rejection of the Father. He experienced everything that a lost sinner will go through if he dies without God. He said, Preacher, are you trying to help me? Yes, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you understand the reason that I'm not going through that is because he already did. And if I had to go through it, it'd be double jeopardy because he has already paid for mine. And if you leave without Christ, if you die without Christ, you will have to pay for it on your own. If you do not accept his sacrifice, you will go through it. I thirst. Listen. (laughs) Those soldiers had no idea how much gospel they was preaching. Brother Privet, those soldiers came to him and they mocked him and they, they made a crown of thorns. And they beat it upon his head. But do you realize if we go back to the book of Genesis, God is speaking to Adam. He said, because of your sin, the ground will be cursed for your sake. What's going to grow from the ground? Thorns. Do you realize the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sin be as... What color you reckon that robe was they wrapped around the Lord? The Bible says it was a scarlet robe. In their mockery, they were preaching the gospel. In their mockery, they were making fun of him. They thought they was having a big time. But Jesus was saying, I am taking your curse. I am taking your curse upon me. I am taking your sins upon my back. I am taking the curse and the sin of all mankind. Pour it to me, son, pour it to me. At that moment, he accepted the curse. At that moment, he, listen, he accepted the sin of man. I got another one too. In that garden, he's praying. What begins to happen as he's agonizing in prayer? He starts what? Sweating. God told Adam, because of the curse, you're going to work by the sweat was the curse. He's sweating. He's sweating. But then what happens? His sweat becomes, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The sweat came. The curse came. But the blood came right behind it. When man sinned in the garden, God had provision. Because the blood came right behind it. Listen, man sinned and the curse came. But where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And the blood came right behind it. Hallelujah. Listen, that darkness, all them chief priests and scribes, they should have known. At the end of that darkness, the Passover lamb died. 
Jesus died at the very hour, at the very time they were killing the evening sacrifice. Do you realize all over Palestine, Jews all over Palestine were killing the, the lamb for their Passover meal and they had no idea that what that lamb was pointing to was actually happening that very time. The agony he suffered. But y'all know me good enough, we can't leave it there. In that darkness, I believe there was an attack that was satanic. I believe the powers of darkness, I believe they came against Christ in an incredible way. And I believe the agony he suffered was when God put the sin of mankind upon him and then turned his back so that he would suffer what every sinner who dies without Christ will suffer. But thank God, in that darkness, there was an attack that was satanic. There was an agony that was suffered. But there was an access that was supplied. What are you talking about? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. At that moment, at that moment, The Bible says when he gave up the ghost that that veil in the temple ripped from the top to the bottom. Now let me say a word about this and and we'll go. I, in the Old Testament, they didn't go to church like we go to church. It was different then. The final sacrifice had not been made. The Lamb of God had not gone before the Father in heaven and and took care of the problem. They were just patching it till that time. Are y'all with me? The sins were not taken away. They were just covered. Till the real lamb came. And in the, in the tabernacle. There was a division. From where God was. To where man was. I was reading last night. And I just about had a shout and fit. The Bible says you who were afar off. He wasn't talking about those living in other cities. He was talking about the area of the tabernacle. Because there was only Jews could get closer than Gentiles. Gentiles had to stand afar off. They could come, but they was afar off. What do you mean? Then, in the next place, the priest could go into the holy place. There were two different places. The holy place and then the holy of holies. Listen, Jews could go into the courtyard. Gentiles had to stay afar off. Are y'all with me? I'm going somewhere. Afar off. Then, then, then Jews could come into the courtyard, into the area closer to where the presence of God was. But then only the priests could go into the Holy of Holies. There was the altar of incense. There was the table of showbread. There was the, the candlestick that burned. But then there was a great veil. There was a great veil, a great curtain, if you will, that separated the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. Listen, they separated between where God was and where man was. And according to the Bible, he said, don't you go in there all the time. He said, lest ye die only one time. The high priest could go only one time and not without blood. One time of year for the sins of the people to make an atonement. They couldn't get in the presence of God. They couldn't be where God was. Everybody didn't have that privilege. Just the high priest once a year. But the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, that veil ripped from the top all the way to the bottom. It did not rip from the bottom to the top because God wanted everybody to know it was God that done it not man I want you to know they could go boldly into the throne of grace the boundary was tearing apart the boundary was taken away I could go to God I don't need a high priest I don't need a preacher I can go to God all by myself for whatever need that I have and when Jesus died on the cross That boundary was taken away. That boundary was removed. And now every man, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're high priest or not. It doesn't matter if you're sinner or saint. You can come boldly before the throne of God for the needs that you have. Thank God Almighty. Give Him praise and glory in His house this morning. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 4. Let me go back. Let me go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, that's me and you, 
are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, and having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you that were afar off, and to them that were nigh. Watch this. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Hallelujah. Hebrews 4, 14. There was not only boundaries erased, but there was boldness and courage. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. In the time of need. You can go to a closet and tell somebody wearing a dress if you want to. But I'm going straight to him. And you can too. Why? Because in that darkness, there was an access supplied. Hallelujah. No matter you're good or bad, smart or dumb, I come by the way of the cross. I don't want you ever again read over that verse that darkness was upon the face of the earth for three hours without realizing what was happening in that darkness. Satan was defeated. The Savior was dying. And salvation was delivered. Somebody needs to write that down. <laughs> Listen, y'all. I'm going to ask old Joe in the drama. I'm going to say, Joe, won't you give God your life? This is like one of them commercials, a promo. And you know what? Tell them what you're going to say. What has God ever done for me? <laughs> Let me tell you something. It's going to be all I can do next Sunday to keep from throwing down and just telling you what he's done for you. <laughs> all week. All week. I've been studying there so much more. Oh, God, there's so much more. He, he did it all. And we can't even be faithful. He gave it all and endured so much. The Bible said he endured the cross. Watch this word, despising the shame. We think it like... Okay, I'm Christ, so okay, let's get this over with. And no, he was human. He despised people spitting in his face. He felt the same about it as you do. He despised the shame of, hate. listen, hanging before all mankind, naked, shamed, and humiliated before all man. But, in closing... Let's go back to that high priest. He saved others. But he himself, he cannot save. Well, I want to ask you, if you're glad he didn't save himself so that he could save you, I want every head bow, every eye closed. Preacher, why did Jesus do that? 